0: On today's Behind the Wall, we recap all the insanity at Talladega Super Speedway along with the playoff picture as we head to this round's cutoff race at the Charlotte Roval. We have breaking news surrounding the 48 car with Hendrick Motorsports for the next year along with other silly season predictions that we might have. We give our top three Super Speedway moments. We have an incredible interview with Fox Sports' own Bob Pachris. And as always, we have our dark horses and hot takes for the Roval. It's me, Jay, and Josh, and this is the Behind the Wall Podcast, Let's Roll.
1: I'm dressed for success. I'm going for i rather strike out on three
2: straight pitches have when
0: I Hey, this is Steve Everett, and you're listening to my song Fake It available
1: everywhere. Now let's get to the show. This is the Behind the Wall podcast brought to you by Behind the Wall Media. I promise they're not drunk.
0: And welcome back to the Behind the Wall Podcast. Shout out to Steve Everett. Thank you for the music, as always. Talladega Super Speedway. Never fails to disappoint. I was there in person along with Adam, who sadly could not make it tonight. He had to work. But it was my favorite or the favorite my favorite race I've ever been to in person. And my favorite race I've ever seen at Talladega or just any Talladega race in general. What a race. Like, you you had action, strategy, crashes, controversy. What else could you want from a Talladega race?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely probably the best restrictor plate race we've had in the past, shoot, three, four years. Like you said, you had everything that you could want. Yeah, probably. It's a... but you had everything that we could have wanted in a race. I think the controversy is just the icing or what's it called? Icing on the cake. And uh, it was just a great race. Tons of crashes. It started early lap one. You had Christopher Belga spinning uh, what went back green. Then you had Ricky Stenhouse wrecking. It was just from the start. It was one of the, the, just a chaotic Talladega race. When you think of Talladega, you just think of crashes, and that's what it provided—a good battle for playoff points all day. You had people coming out with destroyed race cars, just trying to make the next round. Uh, Cut off race this weekend at Charlotte, but I'm very jealous that you were there. One of my favorite races I've ever watched. Talladega's on my bucket list. I need to be there.
0: It's one heck of an atmosphere yeah, you. for sure. Y'all need
3: to make a trip down here was... next spring. I definitely noted um, just how wild the racing was, um, just from the get-go, really. You know, we have our little group chat going, and I, I just remember texting, like, 10 laps in the race, like, holy cow, like, this is this is wild. I, I texted in the group chat, I remember saying, like, this isn't going to end well, like, something's going on. We were seeing dudes like Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, they were all bailing out of the front of the pack, like, in the first stage, which was... I mean, that really says something. I mean, if you see Denny Hamlin bailing out, you know something's happening because Denny Hamlin is arguably the best restrictor plate or not plate plate racer, a super speedway driver. He's arguably the best one. Um, It's pretty clear that he saw the wrecks coming before they happened. He got out of the way and he was there in the end when it mattered. And he just has a knack for doing that. Like almost every speedway race since his Daytona win two years ago, um, he's just been there in the end and, and competing for it. So it's, it was insane uh, as far as just like a racing perspective. I think maybe, um, you know, it, I think the Jeff Gluck's pole would have done a little bit better if we saw somebody else win, especially like a Matt DiBenedetto. Um, plus the yellow line rule stuff kind of probably had some fans frustrated at the end. But uh, what's a good NASCAR race without some controversy, you know, like Spin Gate or something?
0: Yeah, and uh, thinking about the the end of the race, and we we were spared some heartburn at the end with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wrecking out early. But can you imagine how insane the race would have been if Ricky was in the hunt? Because you know he already he makes the type the the winning moves on lap one. That's just the type of super speedway racer He is. He's one of the best, but. If he were there at the end, it would be a whole different story. I don't think Denny Hamlin would have ended up winning. It wasn't going to be Ricky Stenhouse, but we might have seen someone like a Quinn Half end up, uh, up taking the dub. And Quinn Half, wow. I, I mean, Adam was losing his mind the whole time with how Quinn Half was running. But talk about protecting your car, especially with a team that doesn't have – tons of money to spend on repairing broken cars that's all you could ask for from a driver so shout out to Quinn Half. what a race on his end and he got rewarded with a great finish but yeah that was that was one of the most incredible races I have ever seen at Talladega and in person I mean the action that you saw throughout the race in the pack the the cutting people off the drafting I mean it just you had so many people at the front contending for the win at one point you thought oh, Chris Buescher might win this and you're like oh it might be another Brad Keselowski Joey Logano type deal and then for a while I was like this actually might be Bubba Wallace's first win I mean he he, he kept finding a way up front no matter what happened and I do want to shout out Josh Slate for a second he gave a hot take last week that we we're going to see uh, not too much action not many cautions you're get an all-time lowest Jeff Gluck poll couldn't have been more wrong tons of action the most cautions in a talladega race and granted i mean the poll would have been higher but you had controversy and then people don't like the denny hamlin one for the seventh time this year so that's gonna take a hit but if if we had truly unbiased voting from these from these uh fans it would have been like a 99 percent yes yeah i was
1: very off with that i uh I really didn't think we'd get as much action as what we got, just playoffs on the line. And if it was the first race of this round, I'd say we probably would have seen what we saw this weekend. But just going into the second race with a playoff berth for the round of eight on the line, I didn't think we were going to see much. But you go back, talk about Quinn Howell. We joke on him a lot just because how poor he finishes, but he had a career best finish at 13th the other day. And for a small team like that, him saving that car might even help them in Daytona uh, next year since nothing's broke on that car. All they can do is put more work on it and make it even faster and maybe even compete for a Daytona 500 win. That would be insane for that team. But throughout the whole race, it's like we looked like we were going to get a different winner. We looked like we were going to get Bubba Wallace, Chris Buescher on the final lap, William Byron dove down there at Denny would have got penalized, uh, or then he wouldn't have gone below the yellow line in general. I think that was William Byron's race to win. For a little bit, we saw Alex Bowman with no fenders on the car, Kyle Busch with no fenders, get up and show a lot of speed up in the draft. And I was like, wow, if one of these cars wins this race, this is going to be insane. Uh, I love seeing the crash cars with a bunch of damage go up there, like Eric Jones earlier this year at Daytona in the Clash. The whole front of that car would uh, tape and bear bonds, so that would have been really cool. But never knowing who the winner was going to be until the final lap, I want to get y'all's opinion on the double yellow line rule. In the rule book, it says that the pe- person who goes below the double yellow line will get penalized, and if you force somebody below the line, you may get penalized. Then he his position below the yellow line and did not get penalized. I think it's a wrong move by NASCAR declaring him the winner. I think he should be DQ'd, and I think Matt DiBenedetto finished second, so it would have been his win. But I want to get y'all's take on the double yellow line rule.
0: I think it's just, you know. It's, it's in there for a reason, and we talked about during the Jeff Gluck interview. I mean, not Jeff Gluck, uh, Bob Pockris, that if you don't have this double yellow line, you're going to have Ricky Stenhouse for one, because you know he's going to take advantage of that, because that's a great passing zone, especially on the backstretch in, uh, in the tri you're going to have people diving down coming back up and then causing a lot of mayhem and not only does it is a really expensive that's a really expensive rule if you think about it but it also puts people's lives in jeopardy and you run the risk of injury going off of what happened with Denny Hamlin looking at the call that was made that was a reactionary move for him to dive down and this isn't uh this isn't like a roval where you go below the other line or you go, or you you bypass a chicane and you're only going seventy miles an hour and you can just hit the brakes and keep going. You're going two hundred miles an hour. So there's there's not he's not going to let off with the race on the line. And looking, I think NASCAR made the correct call. Looking at replays, the uh, I don't remember who it was. But I think it might have been Busher. He, uh, he came down. He made like a little twitch move, and that was just a reaction thing. I mean, we all do it on – even on NASCAR Heat 5, someone comes down just a little bit, and you're, you're, you over-exaggerate the move because you don't want someone to run into you. So I think that's what ended up happening with Denny Hamlin. I agree with forcing people to be the left, yellow line, but I, th- I think it, overall it's a great rule. It needs to stay, but you do have to be more consistent with the calls. But the call with Denny Hamlin was correct in the grand scheme of things. So, I, don't, I, I do not think that uh, Matt DiBenedetto won that race. He didn't. Denny Hamlin won fair and square. But it was, it was, uh, it was a reaction. And uh, Chaka Myers was talking about it today or yesterday on XM that once you get forced below the yellow line, there's no rule on how long you – or how quick you need to return to the track. So, granted, Denny Hamlin was down there for quite a bit, but there's no rule that you have to return the track as soon as you can. So, that all being said, uh, that all being said I'm just going to keep repeating myself. Great call by NASCAR. That was the correct call. I'm all for the yellow line rule.
3: Um, yeah, so I think the yellow line is important for reasons Henry stated um, you know, you just don't want people to go down there to try and make moves and pass, especially on turns and then come back up the track and, and cause incidents. it's dangerous and expensive, like you said, so there is a purpose for the double yellow line. And I think NASCAR has made it very clear to drivers and the driver's meetings and, you know, previous races. And for some reason, it seems like some drivers just have a problem with that. And, you know, that's on them. So, um, I think this past race, we just saw NASCAR get more assertive with enforcing uh, people who force people below the yellow lines, like Joey Logano. Um, I feel like in the past, maybe NASCAR hadn't been as hard on that, and they decided they wanted to change that and make sure drivers respected that. Um, but, you know, as far as the race ended, you know, like Henry said, it will be nicer uh, if NASCAR made more consistent and clear calls. But what I will say is this, I think on the last lap, I am in favor of having all bets are off. Um, no yellow line rule in the last lap, uh, you know, go, you know, go for the win by any means necessary. Um, because I think that in those instances, that's where you see the most offenses. And honestly, um, I think it'd just be interesting to see how it works out. Maybe try it out um, for a few races and see if there's any um, negative side effects. If, if drivers get too crazy or too aggressive and incidents happen, then maybe, um, maybe we'll they can backtrack on it. But I think it'd be interesting to try out, um, and see how it would go.
0: So you're taking the Brian France, have at it boys approach to this.
3: Oh yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I honestly, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I think of like Justin Haley at Daytona or, you know, Regan Smith, um, at Talladega, stuff like that. It's like, you know, that's where I feel like you can, like having the yellow line rule not enforced would make things really interesting um, on the last lap. But, you know, that's just me.
1: Yeah, I think if that were to happen, I think we'd, first of all, experience a lot more wrecks. And I think it'd put the drivers in a very vulnerable spot for possible injuries, as safe as these cars are. I think when drivers are pushing that hard on a final lap, especially you can go four wide at Talladega when you're above the yellow line. And then you go below the yellow line, add another car or two. You can get the possibility of six wide racing at Talladega. And that's not safe. I don't think NASCAR, whatever, probably do that. But I do think like Bob said in the interview, have something with the last two laps having the double yellow line rule and during the whole race, not have it because I think drivers are more eager to push for the win right there at the end than trying to get up front. I don't think we'd see near the amount of aggression in the middle of the race than we would the end. So with that being said, I think NASCAR needs to just be really strict and consistent. They were, Consistent on most of the calls all weekend. You saw the Xfinity and truck race, the caution at the end, which I don't understand why they threw the caution when there's nothing blocking the racetrack ahead. Uh, That's just my opinion on that. And then, yeah, consistency throughout the cup race. You saw it with Joey Logano's call forcing below the double yellow, which I think really needed to be called. Because if you can't pass down there and somebody's forcing you, it's just you're forcing them down there for them to hit the brakes. And I don't think that's right. So action needs to be taken on, like, what's going on there. There needs to be something that restricts the advantage you get when you go below the yellow. And, uh, yeah, they need to make these calls. Denny Hamlin shouldn't have been the winner of that race.
0: I disagree. But both your your points, though, all we have to do is just look back at February with, with Ryan Newman. If you have the, the type of racing when you have people diving below the yellow line, you're just asking for another Ryan Newman-type crash. And thank God he's still alive and still racing. But a, a, that, that kind of stuff, it has to be mitigated. And a, the best way to mitigate that is to have the double yellow line rule. And mm-hmm. Denny Hamlin was the winner, fair and square. Granted, it, it, was, it, it could have gone either way, but NASCAR did make the right call because, like I said, reactionary. Uh, move, but then also with the Xfinity race with the caution coming out, that also goes back to Ryan Newman because with those crashes on the last lap, it was it was a decent crash and you need to get the the emergency personnel out there as soon as possible just in case something goes wrong. And if you hold them off the track until they make another half lap or basically three quarters of a lap to get back to the start-finish line, you run the risk of not getting out in time if something were to happen. So I think that's that's why NASCAR is throwing these cautions with the multi-car pileups on the last lap at the Super Speedway races, just for the uh, the taking precautions after what happened with Ryan Newman. But yeah, I, I just I, I'm a I'm a fan of the double yellow line. I think it needs to stay, keep being uh, keep being consistent with it and enforce these rules, but. Moving on from Talladega today, we had some b- big news from the Hendrick camp. Uh, I had mentioned before that this was a possibility on a previous podcast, but Alex Bowman, driver of the 88, will no longer be in the 88 next year. He's moving over to the 48 with Ally as the car sponsor. So I want to hear y'all's thoughts about this. I know you've got some uh, interesting takes, Josh, be it that you're a Alex Bowman fan, but I want to hear y'all's thoughts with this.
1: Um, it sucks. Uh, I've, when I followed Dale over, it's the 88. It's been Dale's number. Then I've liked Alex Bowman his whole career, just kind of like what he did with BK and then with Tommy Baldwin and just working his way up. Like Jimmy said, blue collar working your way up, similar to how Jimmy did. So him and that 88 was pretty cool, and it's – like the number special to a driver, I don't think he ever had that because he didn't drive it for long. But like as a fan, it kind of, it just sucks seeing the 88 go. Don't know if it's still going to be run, probably not. But at least if you're going to switch from the 88, you're going to the best driver of all time, Jimmy Johnson, and replacing him and seeing the post Jimmy had on social media today. Kind of like, it was like a feel good thing. It's, him handing over his 48, saying Alex deserves it, which I agree. I think he's done really good in the 88. Two wins, playoffs all three years, and battling for a round of eight this year. But uh, now that we see him go to the 48, we see him full-time. Chevy Goods was a – it was a just throwing on the car because there wasn't a sponsor for the 88, so cool to see Ally on the 48 full-time. Interested to see who goes to the – What will be, I think, the 5 or the 25 going to be really interesting news coming within the next two weeks, I think Hendrick said. So looking forward to that. Bum that the 88's gone, but a cool rebrand, so to say, for Alex Bowman.
0: Jay, let's hear your thoughts. But before, I just want to say that Jimmy Johnson is not the greatest racer of all time. Yeah. Who is? Dale Earnhardt or Richard Petty, either or. I would say Richard Petty. And you can make whatever argument you want, but I think Richard Petty is the greatest NASCAR driver of all time. But this is a that's a conversation for a different podcast. We're talking about Hendrick in the possible five twenty five and the forty eight. So Jay, what you got for us?
3: Well, I'm kind of like Josh. I'm a little sentimental. I think the eighty eight is a very historical number. Um, it's got a lot of history going back to Dale Jarrett, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and even Alex Bowman has got two wins in that number. So. Um, it kind of sucks, but, you know, honestly, I think if they really wanted to retire the 88 number, they should have done it after Dale, Dale Jr. Retired. But, um, you know, I'm happy for Alex. I think he's going to fit in well on the 48, uh, team and it's nice to see him have full sponsorship with Ally. So in that perspective, um, I'm really good. I think it's probably a smart move for Hendrick. Um, I think we had discussed in a podcast a few weeks ago where I mentioned that, and even, uh, one of our listeners, Caitlin, Um, you know, she asked us a question about that and it actually ended up being true. Um, so, um, I think it'll be more interesting to see what the fourth car is going to be. Um, people are speculating the five or the 25. Um, I think right now my gut feeling is it's going to be Larson. Um, everybody seems to be linking Larson to Hendrick. It seems like, uh, savvy move he actually hasn't been reinstated by nascar yet but he recently um released an essay on his website uh, reflecting and stuff like that um boba wallace has you know even commented on it and talked to him so i feel like uh, reinstatement is uh, it's really just a matter of time before that happens and then at that point hendrick can probably announce if he was the choice but you know, it just makes sense staying with chevrolet um We'll have to see how that can happen from a sponsorship side. But I think it's probably the most logical option because all the other candidates like Jones, we haven't really heard any news about them. So, you know, at this point, um, it seems like Larson is probably the number one pick right now.
0: I do. I do like Larson for the ride. I think he would do very well on the ride. But I do right now, I do not think it's going to be Larson. And here's why. He is, like you said, not reinstated with NASCAR. I think it's going to happen very soon, especially with the essay he wrote. I've read the whole thing. It was very touching. It was genuine. I've always, even, even with his initial apology, I knew it was genuine from the start. He made a mistake. But then the, the biggest thing in NASCAR is sponsors, and sponsors drive the sport. Right now, as it stands, he does not have any support from Chevy. They cut ties. I don't think it's going to come back anytime soon. So unless something grand changes, I don't see Kyle Larson in a Chevy ride. I still think the the, the number one spot for Larson is going to be Stuart Haas in the Xfinity Series for a year. And then we'll see what happens. But. I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a precarious thing because you've got a couple different drivers who are options for the ride. You've got Eric Jones, uh, probably number one right now. But I just, I don't, I, I don't know. And I think that ultimately you're going to, this ride is going to be, uh, it's going to be no Gregson's. And I think that, I, I, I don't know why, but I still think that this next year, they're going to run either the five or 25 with part-time drivers, kind of like a Rick Ware deal where they have different drivers coming in every week. Um, You'll have, I I could see drivers like Jimmy Johnson coming in, Daniel Hamrick, uh, Noah Gregson, maybe another driver in the Hendrick camp or the Chevy camp that uh, would like some, some seat time. You're going to have like Chevy goods. You got Hendrick on the car. I just think it really comes down with Larson that he's got to get the support of Chevy once again, and he's got to bring a pretty decent sponsor back. So I, I don't know who would sponsor him. I don't know where they're at with Chevy, but first he's got to get reinstated. So we're all kind of waiting on that. But I just I just don't see Larson going to Hendrick this year. It could happen in the future, but I just I, I don't see it happening. I would like to see it. I, I think Larson's a very talented driver. You see what he's doing on the dirt uh, on dirt right now. And ever since he was dropped from Ganassi, he's a driver. He can wheel a car. But like most things in life, we're just going to have to sit and wait. But I, I, I just don't think it's going to be a Hendrick car next year. We're going to go part-time if it's not Eric Jones.
1: Yeah, you just got to think with the dirt race being announced that his stock goes way up, and teams are looking at that. Sponsors it's are looking one race. at that. It's but it's a race that he could put the car in victory lane, and that means a whole lot to sponsors and teams. It's not a sprint but car, then, though.
0: It's it's a it's a totally basically a, a, It's going to be a totally differently. It's going to be a different built. It's going uh, built differently. Goodness gracious, it's it's one race. I don't see sponsors flocking for one race granted if it was like uh where we had six dirt races in one road course you'd have more sponsorship for that but i i don't think dirt race or one dirt race at bristol is going to have that much effect on a sponsor jumping on board with him or even chevy you know
3: yeah here's, I... here's what i don't agree with um i don't think there'll be shared drivers um i think the reality is that works for those smaller teams but for you know one of the top organizations Hendrick Motorsports they got to have a full-time driver um you know sponsors are only going to want to affiliate with Hendrick if they have a full-time driver in a car uh you know they want somebody they can put their brand image behind so no matter what whether they downsize to three teams for a year or
2: they can't with a new the full-time
3: driver well they could sell it um you know you never know
1: there's a but, new team coming into the sport in a couple weeks. Team Trackhouse. Oh, uh, Team Trackhouse. Well, I will. I will EF, say uh, Justin Marks tweeted about them the other day and said big news coming this week.
0: I will say that I don't. I think if even if you have the split up, the split up ride, I don't think you would have issues bringing in sponsors. If Jimmy Johnson's in the ride; they're gonna have a sponsorship no gregson you're gonna have a sponsor whether it be bass pro or whatever sponsor he has but they're gonna sponsor the up-and-comer uh hemrick maybe i mean maybe you put chevy goods on it that weekend i I don't think that not having a full-time driver is going to affect the sponsorship when you've got jimmy johnson come more than likely would come back he says he wants to still race races i guarantee he's going to be he wants to be in a car at Brickyard, and he's only going to come back if it's competitive. So obviously, he's only going to come back if Hendricks offering a ride, or I mean, if Ganassi offers him a ride, which could be a possibility. But I, I, I still think that with the the one out drivers or one off drivers, that you can you can sell sponsors on that, especially with the 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 names of the drivers that they would get to fill the rides.
1: Yeah, I just I don't see the point of pushing a noah gragson or somebody into cup series this year when we have the next gen car coming uh in 2021 so i think i'm with Jay. i think we're gonna see a full-time guy come in there whether it be larson whether it be hammerick making a return to cup or shoot if they throw noah gragson in there i think we're gonna see a full-time guy if jimmy wants to come back and run a daytona 500 a brickyard or whatever he wants to race uh I think they'll pull that twenty-five car out like they did for Chase Elliott when he was uh starting to make his uh first starts in Cup Series, and they'll pull it out for him. It's Jimmy Johnson. It's not like a, a Casey Mears coming back say, "Hey, Mister Hendrick, I want to ride." It's <laughs> Jimmy Johnson. He's gonna pull out a brand new twenty-five car for him if he wants to run.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, well, we we did we did have our final Super Speedway race of the year. Let's go ahead and talk about our top three super speedway moments from our memory banks. Uh, we've done this a couple times, this draft-style memory. Um, I'll go ahead and start. I think number one's got to be Ryan Newman, this, the, the 500 this year, just with that wreck and the, the, the drama that ensued after and the comeback. That's a great memory.
1: Yeah, uh, it's probably going to be obvious, but I feel like as a race fan, 2001 Pepsi 400, when uh they went to victory lane, first Daytona race after his dad's death. Uh, just, I don't remember that race. I wasn't alive. So just seeing pictures and re-watching it over the years is definitely one of my favorite restrictor plate races of all time.
3: One... First one that comes to mind for me is going to be the 2011 Aaron's 499, um, closest mm. margin of victory, you know, two thousandths of a second. Uh, Jimmy Johnson beat up Clint Bowyer. I means I think that was peak tandem racing, which we'll never probably ever see again. So, uh, just I an exciting it. type of racing.
0: Um, yeah, I'm 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 glad that the tandem's gone. That was that was horrific. I did not enjoy that at all. Uh, but I would say for me, my number two will go with uh, Michael Waltrip's second win of the Daytona 500 back in 2003. I think that really solidified him as a, as a super speedway contender. He was always in the hunt for things. After that, he had a nice little strategy of hanging out the back, and sometimes you get screwed over with cautions and getting caught up in wrecks. But you knew that when Michael Waltrip rolled up after the – Oh, 03500 that he's got a shot of winning it he's got a shot of winning it
1: uh pick number 2 is going to be 2016 Daytona 500 my uh, first Daytona weekend and uh there's the photo finish between Denny Hamlin Martin Truex Jr the race wasn't wild but the finish was something I'll never forget and the uh, first Daytona 500 is always going to be special
3: yeah that was a good one um 2015, um, Austin Dillon's Rector during the Coke uh, 0400. Um, you know, that was another moment uh, that we can all remember. Um, seeing Dale Jr. win that race uh, was cool, but uh, the crash, I mean, it was a spectacular crash, and to see Dillon walk away from that was just awesome. So uh, that was another uh, memory of this, like, one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of like Daytona is that incident right there.
0: All right. I'm probably going to steal Josh's final pick, but 2014 Daytona 500 junior coming back and winning the thing. That was a, uh, that was quite the race. And it was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was rain delayed. You uh, was that the same race that Johnson literally wrecked on the first lap. Within top, I think so. Yeah. And I remember that scheme with the with the pinstripes down the middle. Um that was that yeah, his low scheme. But yeah, that was that was a great Daytona five hundred. i I mean I, I later on I rooted more for Dale Earnhardt. Uh but to see him back in victory lane and I mean I can I'm not even looking at a picture now, but just imagining the National Guard uh eighty eight with the gold numbers on the side. I mean that's that that was a fantastic moment, fantastic race, but just the moment overall. That's him driving, taking the uh, the backwards lap around the track, waving at fans. I mean that place had to be hopping.
1: Yeah, I had that one pulled up on my phone. The picture you were just describing was on my phone seconds before I pulled up this next one because you stole my pick. But uh, gotta go. Two thousand nine. Aaron's four ninety nine. Carl Edwards leading, coming to the checkered flag, flies up into the stands, tears down the guardrail, and, uh, seven fans were injured. Like you said, peak tandem racing back there, and, uh, unforgettable finish. Uh, glad that we're kind of out of that tandem era. It was interesting and everything, but very unsafe. We've seen a bunch of scary crashes throughout the tandem era, but, uh.
0: Especially that with the car yes. tomorrow, Man, that car turns around like, and it's, uh, it's shooting off to the moon.
3: Nothing like hearing Larry McReynolds go.
1: Brad Keselowski won this race. <laughs> I can hear it in my head, his voice.
3: I love. Yeah. I, I miss I'd that Jay crew. Wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many great calls. Um, you know, I think of another one that comes to mind. Um, is when, I forget what year it was, you guys might be able to help me out, when uh, Front Row Motorsports finished 1-2 at Talladega. Um, that was probably a cool moment uh, for them, seeing, you know, those car, cars that run mid to end of the pack, you know, pretty much week in and week out, being able to finish 1-2 is, like, so special for that organization. I remember David Reagan won, and uh, that was just a really, really cool thing to see. Um, I like it when you see guys win who don't really uh, make names for themselves and other places.
0: Yeah, and right before we, we're going to jump into the interview real quick, but I will say that one of the funniest moments from that race was, I, I forget which driver because uh, which driver said it, but on the car, it was the Golden Corral was sponsoring that, that race, and they had that Kids Eat Free on Tuesdays on the back of the car. And it was, I think it was on the Radioactive. Uh, actually, I don't even know if they had Radioactive back then, but um, they had mentioned that, some drivers like hey, I'm so tired of seeing that kids eat free on Tuesdays because they're sitting there drafting on him the whole time. But let's go ahead and jump into today's interview. We've got Fox Sports' Bob Pockris. it who's a fantastic interview, one of my favorites. Uh Bob's a great guy to talk to. But let's go and jump in the interview. Hope you guys enjoy. one more time all right and this week we're going to be interviewing bob pokris bob is a reporter for fox sports but before we get to the interview i want to give a quick shout out to our great sponsor today's interview is sponsored by peak auto save seven dollars on peak 10x antifreeze and coolant from september 22nd to november 30th get your rebate today at peakauto.com bob great to have you uh, how's your, how's your week been so far to uh, stressing <laughs> from Talladega?
2: Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I was joking with some people that, uh, that if there was a headline for Talladega for most people, it'd be Talladega bites, right? <laughs> you know, cause it, uh, it seemed to bite a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of the playoff drivers. For sure. I just want to go ahead and get jump
0: straight to the chase. I know that everyone that follows you knows that you've got your you've got the pulse on the silly season news and everything that's been going around. But uh, talking about you and hearing about uh, your employment history, I know back uh, a couple years ago, ESPN uh, ended up leaving ESPN. You had like a little Bob pockers style silly season there. Could you could you talk a little bit about getting in with Fox Sports and did you have any other type of options or how was it feeling? Having your own type of silly season.
2: Uh, well, you know it's never comfortable, right? But I think in, if you're in the journalism world, you're you're always in. You're, most of the time, you're in silly season, except uh, you know in the few lucky spots like when you had at ESPN when you actually have a contract. So um, you know the contract uh, ended, and they weren't uh, they weren't going to keep uh, having a motorsports rider and and it's you know it was great to have you know a lot of talks with a lot of people about you know what potentially what i could do both in racing and some outsider racing and uh you know it's just great that fox uh you know fox i think saw value in what i do on social and and what um uh, you know and in the info i could provide so you know fox is all about you know especially you got all the race broadcasts you got the race hub all these shows and they, you know, and I was able to add something, I think, to them, just, um, just having somebody who's talking to people all the time, you know, the the pit reporters are certainly busy on certain things that they're focused on, uh, but, you know, but maybe they're not talking to as many people all day, every day, like I am, because, (laughs) just because of the nature of the work that I'm doing, and so I just was able to come in and be, and be a resource for everybody, you know, and uh, so much as I, Uh, tweet and and everything like that I'm you know also you know texting people uh, texting other Fox reporters and you know we're talking about what we're hearing and and we're able to you know I'm just able to be a good resource uh, for them.
1: So I've heard from many people I'm an aspiring journalist you are to the sport you're always one of the first people in the garage area. So first off, I wanna thanks for your dedication to providing the latest news and everything in the media center. Had a wild weekend at Talladega this week. Double yellow line rule has been a big talk. What's your take on the double yellow line rule? Do we keep it? Do we lose it? What's going on?
2: I, I don't really like it, but I can't say I have a great alternative for it. Um, you know, I'm, I would almost say at the last two laps and then green white checker to maybe throw it away and not have it. Uh, I know some people say well you can't have some rules for the start and for the finish but you know I you know the, the rules change in football a little bit right after the two minute warning or you know in the last minute of a game and I think I think potentially you could do that here you know the argument is is that they wreck um, and the fact is that they're wrecking anyway right. So. I guess the question is we just don't know how bad the wrecks are, and this rule was made 20 years ago, so it's really hard to predict how bad those wrecks would be if this rule was you know, just eliminated for, for the last few laps. Um, I, you know, I kind of would like to see it, maybe test it in some of the other series first, and if it goes well, potentially use that for cup now. I don't think NASCAR is gonna go that way, and uh, you know, I think NASCAR is in a tough spot because they, you know, they're, they're sitting there trying to make judgment calls and, you know, look, I think they at least the at least at least you can say on Sundays that they set the precedent early with Joey Logano and they kind of kept that through through most through through the race. Now, if you had asked me after the race if they made no penalties at all, if they just said, hey, you know, his last lap, you know, yeah, maybe De you know, Denny Hamlin was trying to get away from a crash. Uh, Chase Elliott was trying to avoid a crash. Uh, We don't feel that anybody theoretically forced anybody down. It was just contact that was going to happen. I probably would have been okay with that too. You know, I would have been, you know, if NASCAR had swallowed the whistle, I I probably wouldn't have had a big beef with it. I don't really have a big beef with what they, with the penalties that they gave though as well. You know, I just, it's just such a, to me, so, to me, it's just so, it's just such a tough, uh, tough, tough, tough thing to do. I will say that I think that it needs to be blatant for them to call. And so when they make a decision like Chase, on Chase Elliott and saying, hey, he went below and they penalize him and then they go back and review it and say no. Well, then it obviously to me should never have been a penalty anyway because it wasn't blatant enough.
1: For sure. Uh, Steve Letart said on a show earlier today that maybe adding rumble strips down there so it's not as you can't get an advantage if you do go down there what do you think about that? I
2: I don't like rumble strips at 190 miles an hour. (laughs) I mean, I just don't, I, you know, I, I, the, 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 the the wrecks are too violent and you're, and, and, you know, cars are always spinning. I just, I, I would not feel good about having uh, rumble strips. Um, You know, LaTarte might be able to figure out a way that, that they could be done so that they don't make a hazard if you wreck, but uh, I just don't, I just don't see it. Mm -hmm.
3: Bob, I wanted to um, move into a different aspect. I'm sure um, most um, NASCAR fans uh, know you for breaking news on Twitter. And um, from your perspective, it's your job to report things on Twitter. But I feel a lot of the times, especially recently, um, Pete, I kind of get the feeling, it's like anytime you break something that fans disagree with, I feel like it's kind of like a don't kill the messenger type situation. <laughs> How do you deal with having to deal with people who almost take it out on you for just breaking news that they don't necessarily like, but you know, like it's, it's not, you making the calls, you're just bringing the news.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I graduated from college in 1991 and it really hasn't changed. Uh, and now, maybe uh, f- the feedback is quicker because of social media, but um, you know, that's, I mean that's like saying you know if you you know if you, it's like telling it's like a driver saying well I don't want to be asked about uh, being in a wreck you know if you're a driver you're going to be in wrecks right uh if you're a driver who's up front you're going to be asked about uh you know battling a teammate for a win or or how how you're racing somebody it's just it's just the nature of it and um you know it's not uh I, it, it is what like if, if I did not want to be uh be blamed, you know, if I, if I do not want to be blamed for it, then I shouldn't be in the business I am. I mean, that's the way I look at it. You know, it's, it's part of, it's part of the, uh, the job and people are always going to, um, I mean, that's just going to be, that's just a normal reaction. And I don't, you know, Look, pe- the fact is is that if people are reading it and people are passionate about it that's better for me because people are going to continue to be reading and continue to be passionate and watching uh the sport that I that I write about so that's uh for me you know that's the the, the passion is what is what gets them reading Gets what gets fans reading in the first place and you know you can't uh you don't want to take that away
0: yeah fans fans uh definitely have a way of saying things on Twitter, and I I don't know if I could be in your job because I'd want to have some more Bob Pockers-type clapbacks, and I saw (laughs) one the other day that had me rolling. But uh, another part of your job with the fans are these tweet-ups that you've been doing in a normal world. Obviously, can't do them now with the pandemic going on, but kind of like a two-part question. Who was – I know you and Jeff Gluck have kind of collaborated on this. Who was the one who came up with the idea for these tweet-ups, and do you have an all-time best tweet-up-type story from one of the tracks?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Jeff was really the first one to do it. He, uh, people, you know, we both got on Twitter in uh, in the spring of 2009, I want to say spring or summer and some fans at Richmond are like, Hey, Jeff, we'd like to meet you. And so he said, well, Hey, how about if we, if you, you can meet me at this spot outside the track, you know, outside the gate or in the grandstands, so I think maybe it's during a an Fennie race and he just went up and sat with him for a while. And it, he kind of, you know, and I think, that people were doing them in other sports or, or doing them at other events. And he was like, hey, why don't we, um, you know, try doing these together. I think NASCAR was trying to figure out ways to engage as well. And so, uh, so it was really Jeff's idea. And, you know, and I, uh, and I tagged along and, and, you know, certainly enjoy it. It's a great opportunity for us as reporters to get a good 20 to 30 minutes talking to fans about what they maybe saw yesterday, the day before in a race, or, or how they feel about certain things going on in the sport. And, you know, certainly you can get some feedback on, on Twitter, but, you know, being able to, you know, talk face to face with fans is, is a great thing for us as reporters. So really love doing them and love meeting, uh, love meeting the fans. Um, the, the best story has to be, and, and it, so we were supposed to have Richard Petty at a tweet up, and uh, but Richard got sick, so I think I think he got sick, and he wasn't at the tweet up. And there's a guy who his wife had gotten him into racing, and he did, not his wife, his girlfriend, and so he decided he was going to propose at the tweet up, and he wanted to do it in front of Richard Petty, but because Richard Petty wasn't there, I was the best alternative, and uh, and he said, Bob, I don't have a question for you, and he got down on one knee and asked his girlfriend with the ring, I have a question for her and, and asked her to marry him. And uh, that's, they don't teach you that in journalism school, how to react to a marriage proposal uh, that happens in front of you. But uh, I think you probably could have picked up my jaw off the ground because I wasn't, didn't really know what to say, but I was just used as a prop for, uh, for a marriage proposal. So I think that has to be the best tweet up story.
0: Did you awesome. tweet about it after the fact? Or was it one of the I think everybody
2: tweeted, tweeted, and uh, you know, and they still come to races and uh, come to tweet ups, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it, um, you know, look, I, I mean, it's it's a great thing about NASCAR or about sports in general. You know, people who have, who are fans of certain teams or certain sports, you know, it, it's just it's an integral part of their lives, and so, you know, it's great to be able to have you know a very 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 tiny role in uh and how they and how they enjoy the sport
1: that's awesome i was not expecting a proposal thing but it's pretty cool and definitely an unforgettable experience i'm sure so this year we've had a ton of change in the sport uh i want to get your perspective on it but where is the future of nascar
2: well that's a great question uh you know if you could ask me what's the future of the auto industry in five years or 10 years, and I probably can't give you that, right? So how do I know where NASCAR is going to go? And, and I think that's, that's a big question. And NASCAR, the challenge for NASCAR is that, uh, is that while other sports, you grow up and you're, 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 somebody in your family is a fan of a certain team, right, you follow that team, or you follow a certain college, and, and you, you kind of get ingrained, and then you maybe go to a certain college, and you become a fan of them, and for NASCAR, that used to be, you know, people were Ford people, or people were Chevy people, or people were Dodge people, and, and your driver stayed with the same team, all the, you know, or you were, a, um, a, uh, let, let's say you were a Children's fan and your driver stayed with that, 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 that team the entire time or, or only switched teams once, and you really could build up a, a fan base. And your drivers went from your local, if you went to your local short track, the Bush Series would go there and they'd race, and you'd watch your favorite driver race against the stars of the Bush Series, right? And if that driver did well, you know, they would get a, get a Bush Series ride and you could follow them up. And NASCAR's big challenge is where do you find that kind of emotional connection now? as far as, you know, people aren't as um, tied to a car manufacturer as they once were. And, you know, and now people, drivers are coming, you know, they're driving nationally as teenagers and necessarily don't necessarily connect with their local communities as well as they once did. So I think that's the challenge for NASCAR. Hopefully, you know, obviously the schedule changes, are, you know, should increase some interest, but I think NASCAR still needs to go deeper and really work at, um, finding ways to, that make sure that the best talent has a way to get through the system and for, you know, to be able to really establish connections between drivers and, and the fans. Jay,
0: yeah, do you have another question?
3: Um, yeah, I guess um, kind of piggybacking off uh, the previous question, um, I, well, I guess in a different sense, this year has been a totally different year for NASCAR, um, and it's obviously changed your job a lot. Um, how, what has been some of the biggest, uh, the biggest challenges for your job this year, as far as would it be, say, not being able to go the track or just, you know, uncertainty? Um, how has it changed your career?
2: I mean, I would say uh, you know, not being inside the garage is 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 different, right? Because I would typically would always be in the garage, and you can kind of you know sense when people have some downtime and go up and talk to them, and and you know that you're not bothering them, you know, at a certain time if they're just hanging out by the hauler, you would see you know this team owner or that team owner, and 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 you know, sometime during a weekend, you'd have the your, I'd have a list of people I'd need to contact, and. know, and you you kind of go through that list and and, and talk to them, you know, kind of had, you you would hope at at a somewhat convenient time. And now it's all, you know, you're just texting and texting and calling and emailing and everything because you're not there. You don't know if you're, you know, you don't want to, you know, bother somebody. But, you know, like if a a car is going to the rear of the field, you want to know why, right? NASCAR doesn't give us, you know, an explanation. So, You know, so that you might be texting a crew chief or a team PR person or a team technical director, you know, just say, hey, what do you know what happened, you know, when before you would just, you know, go up to them in the garage and be like, hey, what happened? And, and so I think all doing that and, you know, obviously with all the silly season going on, you you would just, you would see people and be able to get a good vibe of, of what was going on. And I think also the fact is that when you're in the garage, you get a lot of feedback, you know, people are either praising you or complaining or or something, but you get a good, also get a good vibe of, you know, what, uh you know, how people in the garage feel about certain issues, how they feel about certain changes. And, uh, and it's a lot more difficult to get that maybe over a text and over an email rather than a face-to-face conversation.
0: All right, Bob, well, I really appreciate you coming out and, one of our biggest things that we do on the podcast is at the end of each episode, we give out a hot take for the upcoming weekend along with the dark horse uh, who could end up winning the race or more likely ends up running well. But we've been asking everyone that we've interviewed this year if they have a dark horse and a hot take for the championship race at Phoenix. And I want to hear from you on who you think could be a dark horse and if you got a hot take.
2: Uh, you mean a hot take as far as who's going to win the championship?
0: Or well, just anything. Hey, uh, hot, uh, hot takes come in all shapes and okay. sizes. Okay, um, on
2: Phoenix or, or just in general? Uh, we can go in general. In general, um, my hot take would be is, uh, you know, I, I understand NASCAR wanting to do only eight races with practice and qualifying next year. But, you know, I would think with the next gen coming in uh, 2022 that, you know, I look, I'm biased because I'm a I'm, I'm somebody who needs content, right, as a journalist. And I need, and so I want to see cars on the track. I want to have things to write about. I want to have things to talk to people about, you know, crashes in practice or, or, um, or you know, people struggling in practice or, or something happening or something happening during the week. And you know that you're going to see people around. So I, I have a huge bias for wanting more practice and qualifying. But I also think it, it gives people who are struggling just maybe a little bit more time on the track. I think qualifying helps, uh, you know, look at this weekend at the Roval, you know, the, all the, you have drivers who are 20 points out and they're going to, all the playoff drivers are going to start in the same place, right? They're all going to start in the first uh, six rows. You know, I want qualifying to be able to determine, you know, where you're going to start and your chances for stage points. So that would be my hot take that I think, you know, I understand the reasoning and and everything, but, you know, i you know, again, biased, but I wish for more practice and qualifying uh, once the next gen car comes. As far as a dark horse for Phoenix, um, you know, I think, I don't know why you could call Chase Elliott a dark horse, but he's not Kevin Harvick or Denny Hanlon. And I think that, uh, I think if he can get to Phoenix, I'm not saying they will, but if he can get to Phoenix, you know, I'm certainly not going to count him out.
0: I'd have to agree with you on that one. I'm pretty high on Chase Elliott, and I feel the same way as you. If you can get to Phoenix, however he does it, he's he's got a pretty good shot at end up stealing the thing from the uh, Hamlin or Harvick. But really appreciate you coming out and joining us for this week. Uh, real quick, I know more than likely 99.9% of our followers, followers follow you. But why don't you just go ahead and give a quick shout-out or plug in your social media sites so that, they, that way they can get – Bob Pockers information from the source.
2: Sure. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Bob Pockers, B-O-B-P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. The same on Instagram. I also have a Facebook page that's Bob Pocker's Fan. So those three spots, and then you can also read my stuff on foxsports.com.
0: All right. Well, Bob, thanks for joining us this week, and hopefully we'll be seeing you a lot more next year, and maybe we'll get you on a, uh, on a Michael Walter grid Walk as well.
2: <laughs> All right. I try to stay thanks, away Bob. from those. I don't want to be, get tacos on me. All right. Thanks, Bob. Right. And I'm not, 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 saying no, but I need, because you know like in the devil inside. One,
1: one, one, one more time.
0: And that was our interview with Bob Pockers. Make sure you go follow him on social media to get all the hot Bob Pockers news straight from the source. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's Dark Horse and Hot Takes for the Charlotte Roval Jay, let's hear from you first.
3: So we're going to the Charlotte Roval. This is our third time at the track. I feel like we've gotten pretty familiar with it now. Um, We're all expecting uh, Chase Elliott probably to dominate the race and more than likely win. But as far as a dark horse perspective goes, there's so many good um, road course racers that kind of fall under the radar, especially like Clint Boyer. Uh, Truex is a great uh, road course racer. So there's a lot of you know uh, savvy picks to go with. I'm going to actually go um, with somebody who isn't really quite thought of, and it's going to be Ryan Priest. He's been having a really tough year. Um, so normally you would think, you know, why go with him? But, you know, he's a solid road course racer. JTG Doherty, they can bring uh, solid cars and good equipment to the road courses. I feel like they can have a pretty good setup. You know, they used to have... Uh, the king of road course racers. Well, maybe not really, but they used to have A.J. Allmendinger. So, um, you know, they, he's his experience with that team has been able to set up really strong road course cars. So I'm curious to see how Ryan Priest is going to do this weekend. So he's going to be my dark horse. And a hot take for this weekend, um, they're expecting rain. They're calling for rain. I think it would be really cool if we saw them race in the rain. And my hot take would be, I think, that in the rain – we're gonna see probably one of the best races of the year. You know, it's hard to follow up a great Talladega race, but you know, it's an elimination race. Um, there's still options for guys to point their way in. Um, even guys like Almirola and Boyer, uh, you know, they're not out of it. Um, Kyle Busch, he's definitely not out of it. So it's gonna be crazy. I think if it does rain, it's just gonna to add to the chaos. And honestly, I think it's gonna be a thrilling race. Probably one of the best of the year.
1: Yeah, I agree. Rain at the Roval would uh, definitely be nice, but I'm going to start off with Dark Horse. It's someone we haven't used all year, and I'm going to go Matt Kenseth. He's uh It's a low downforce package, so it's how it was when he raced the road courses uh, a couple years back, and I think he's going to run really well. It's his first time at the Roval, so it should be uh, quite interesting. And Hot Take is, I think... Especially with rain, but even without rain, we're going to see another Tum's heartburn turn incident. First year, we had Brad Kozlowski. I don't know how he messed it up that bad, but he shot off into there. Last year, we had Chase Elliott go in and come back and win. This year, we're going to have another incident, and if it's in the rain, everybody's going into Tum's heartburn turn head on. So, I think it's going to be wild there. If it's rain, it's going to be even more wild, but... We're in for a show. All
0: right, my dark horse for this weekend, Clint Boyer. He's got a, he's got to pull up some magic, to say the least, to get into the playoffs. Granted, he can point his way into it, but he's going to need to have a Fantastic race. He's got to be in the top five basically the whole day to get maximum stage points, and if he don't end up winning it. But yeah, I would I would say that Clint Boyer is definitely my dark horse. Hot take. I mean, this is going to be a hot take. I've got a new race winner this year, not in the playoffs, but he's shown speed at the Roval. And it is good old seven-time Jimmy Johnson. That won the thing at the inaugural race. Uh, however, had the mishap in the final final chicane. But I think that he's got a good shot. He's going to be gunning hard because I think this is his. I mean, maybe, maybe Texas, but I think this is his last best shot to win a race this year, especially with how insane the playoffs have been thus far. But I think if Johnson's up near the front, he's going to win this thing, and he's going to make a lot of people happy and get his final Cup Series win at the Charlotte Roval. But this is uh, another episode of Behind the Wall Podcast. Make sure you go follow us on social media. Go check out our website. Uh, I haven't mentioned this before, but the song we're playing at – as we close every week, it's uh, called American Man by Ville. Granted, this is a unreleased song, so you're not going to be able to stream this specific song, but make sure you go check them out on Spotify. That's Ville, V-I-L-L-E. This is the Behind the Wall Podcast. We'll see you next week.